This morning's reading comes from the book of James, chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming to you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves on the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Well, I'm hoping that's where you've got your Bible open in front of you at James chapter 5. Every time I read this passage, every time I hear it read, I'm challenged by what it says. So I'm assuming you might be as well as we go through this together. But uh, we're going to pray and ask God to help us as we look at this. Let's do that together. Father, we do thank you, uh, as has already been prayed, that we will have ears now to hear what your word says and hearts and minds that are ready to do it because we know your great love for us and we know the hope that we have in your son, Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Money, it's a topic that comes up pretty regularly in the Bible. Jesus talks about it a fair bit. Paul talks about it a lot. Uh, And it's a major topic for James in this letter. Next to the use of the tongue, this would be the dominant theme that James has for us in this book. Now, I don't know what you thought when the Bible passage was read, but I'm guessing you heard those first five words, what it says there right at the beginning of chapter five. Now, listen, you rich people. My guess is most of us would have looked at that and thought, well, I'm off the hook because I'm not rich. Oh, yeah, I'm comfortable, but I'm not rich. We can all think of people who are much more rich than us. So before we start looking at what James says, Have a think about this. Credit Suisse have just released or released it back in June, their annual global health report, uh, global wealth report. And guess who the richest people in the world are? Us, Australians. Whether by median income, we are the richest people in the world. See, when James says, 
Now listen, you rich people, we need to sit up and pay attention. We need to hear what he has to say because it's us that he's writing to. But one more thing before we jump into the passage. I want to be clear about this. The Bible does not say that it is wrong to be rich. In fact, James is going to point to Job a little later in this passage, a man who was incredibly wealthy in his day. And he also points to Abraham in another part of the letter. Both of these men were very, very wealthy people. But they were also great examples of faithfulness and godliness. So being rich is not in itself wrong. Please don't hear James saying that, and please don't think that that's what I'm saying. But we do need to think carefully about how we use what it is that God has given to us. So James has a specific message for the rich people first, and then we'll talk to people at the other end of the economic spectrum just a little later. But it's not just, the, it's not just the, that they're rich that he has in his sights. He focuses on three things in this passage. How they have obtained their wealth, their attitude toward their wealth, and how they have used their wealth. So how did they obtain their wealth? Well, the answer is right there in verse four. This is what James wants to say. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. James is critical of the way that these people have arrived at their wealth, how they've come by their money. They've made a fortune, but it's been at the expense of other people. They've become rich by mistreating others who are poor. They've been so concerned to make money for themselves that they didn't even care how they made it. Now, I think we all know the person that James is talking about here, don't we? He's talking about the boss who wants to underpay the workers and then boast about the profits that they've made in their business. I knew a builder one time who had exactly this reputation. He would quote to do a job and he would get the plumbers and the electricians to come in and quote on their part of the job. He would complete the job, charge the people the full amount that had been quoted in the contract. But when it came time to paying those tradesmen, the plumbers and the electricians, the builder would say, oh, he couldn't give them their full pay. He'd need to give them a little bit less than that because, you know, things had got a bit complicated. And he had a reputation such in town that we were living in that there were electricians and plumbers who would never work with him because they knew that they would be ripped off every time they worked for him. But he would be boasting about how well his business was going. Now, the second thing James criticises is the attitude that people may have towards money, and you'll see it there in verse number three. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat at your flesh like fire. You've, you've hoarded wealth in the last days. They've acquired way more than they need, and much of what they have is sitting on the shelf and rusting. But the worst part about their attitude is that they should have known better. 
if they claim to be followers of Jesus, if they claim to be people who know God, then they should know better. They should know that they're living in the last days. They should know that Jesus is coming again. But they seem to be living a life that's completely oblivious to that fact. I've never really understood the stock exchange. I'm sure that there's plenty of people in the room who do. Uh, but we see it every night on the news, don't we? They, they want to show us the ASX and tell us what's happening with the FTSE and the Dow. And, and they'll tell us a few stocks that have gone up and a few that have gone down. And what intrigues me is that there'll be something that happens, possibly even in another part of the world, that will influence the stock exchange in Australia. So there'll be the latest unemployment figures will be released and that'll have its effect on the stock market. Or uh, the, the Reserve Bank will raise interest rates and that'll have an impact on the stock market. Or there's an election in Greece and somehow that has an influence on the stock market as well. Investors decide what they're going to do with their money in light of the latest news. And James says that Christians should handle their money in light of the news. Not unemployment figures or interest rises or Greek elections. The news that we should be responding to is that Jesus is coming again. And he's coming soon. That's what James means when he talks about the last days. The countdown is on. Jesus is going to come again to this world. And when he comes, he will come to judge. And that news should impact how we handle our money. But unfortunately, some of those that James wrote to well, it seemed to make little or no difference to how they handled their money. They seemed to be living oblivious to the fact that Jesus is coming again. And can I say, money will do that to you. When you get so comfortable here in this life, it's very easy to lose sight of the fact that there is a better future in store for us. We need to make sure that we don't slip into that trap. So let me ask, how does the news of Jesus coming again impact your life? More importantly, how does it impact how you handle your money? How much influence does your faith have and how much influence that knowing that Jesus is coming again how much does that impact your financial dealings? Does knowing Jesus will one day return change how you view your finances? Well, James has one more criticism for the wealth, and it's there in verse number five. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. They've lived it up with the money that they had. They seem to show no concern for others, no concern for the poor, and it would appear no concern for God. In fact, they've been rather selfish in the way that they've handled their money. They thought of themselves. They didn't think of 
how they could help those who were in need. They didn't think of how they could support their brothers and sisters in Christ. They didn't think about how they could promote the gospel, how they could tell people the good news that Jesus is coming again. And again, you read a passage like this and you can't help but think about the parable of the rich fool that Jesus told. James reminds them that Jesus is coming again and that that should shape how they live. When Jesus comes, he will come to judge. But the bit that sticks out in this section that we've read, for me, is verse 3 in chapter 5. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth on the last days. James says that the corrosion of their unused possessions will actually be called as a witness in the court case on those last days. It's a frightening thought, isn't it? Most people would see their possessions as testimony to how successful they've been, uh, how, how well they've done in life. But James says that's not the way it will be. I mean, have a think about that for a moment. Think about the idea that your possessions and your money will actually be the first witnesses on the day of judgment. Your household goods will be testifying about you or against you. What kind of testimony will they give? Will they testify that you've been a hoarder and selfish because you've had things corroding on the shelves? Or will they testify that you've handled things well and in a way that's honouring to God? Well, starting in verse 7, the tone changes pretty dramatically. We move to the other end of the economic spectrum and rather than harsh words, James wants to give these people a comfort and an encouragement. James says... That the message, this is one of the unusual things with this passage. There's two sections. First one's directed to the rich people, the second one's directed to the poor people. And the message is exactly the same to both of them. The message is this Jesus is coming again. For the rich, it's intended as a warning that they need to change how they're living. And for the poor, it's intended as a comfort. Verse 7 Be patient then brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield a valuable crop, patiently waiting for autumn and spring rains? You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. To the rich, James says, think very carefully about how you're living because Jesus is coming again. And to the poor, he says, be patient, because Jesus is coming again. For Christians, the hope of Jesus' return should be held tightly. It's not just some theological concept or point of doctrine. We know that through Jesus, and through Jesus alone, we are forgiven and made right with God. And we know that Jesus will be coming to take those who have trusted in him to be with him for eternity. And surely we should be looking forward to that happening. For those who are oppressed, 
for those who are suffering, what greater comfort could there be than to know that one day the suffering will come to an end and we will be with Jesus forever? I heard about a Bible college student who went on a short-term mission to Africa and she was working with some very poor and very marginalised people in this particular area, but people who had a great faith in Jesus. And she wrote a letter back to her family and in the letter she said this, Today I met some people who are very poor but think they're rich because they know Jesus. I think they're right. James reminds the readers to keep pressing on, to, to be encouraged by the idea that Jesus is coming again. But it's not just the hope of being able to get through those hard times. It ought to be the hope for all Christians. We should all be longing for the day when Jesus comes again. So what about you? Can you honestly say that you are looking forward to the day when Jesus comes again? Do you ever give it much thought? He's coming to judge. He's coming to bring justice to the world. He's coming to take those who trust him to be with him forever. We ought to be looking forward to that day. And if you aren't, why is that? Is it perhaps that you're a little too comfortable here? Could it be that you're placing too much confidence in the things that you have in this life? Your financial security? Could it be that you feel you have too much already invested in this life? I think that that can sometimes be the case for us as Christians. We seem to give little thought to the return of Jesus and it's because we're pretty happy and pretty comfortable with what we have here and now. People can become content with this life and forget that there's a better life in store for us. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying you should be discontented with this life. I'm not saying that you should give up on this life. The Bible clearly says that it's okay to enjoy the life that God gives us. But what I'm saying is this, do you think that this is as good as it gets? The return of Jesus should be something that we look forward to as Christians. It should be something that we hope for. It should be something that we pray for. In fact, that's what we're praying every time we say, thy kingdom come. It should influence how we handle our lives and it should change the way that we live here on earth. Jesus is coming again. That idea runs right through this section of James. Again, to the rich, he says, Jesus is coming again. Make sure that you live in light of his return. <clears throat> and to the poor, he says, Jesus is coming again. Be patient. It won't be long until Jesus takes you to be with him forever. And when he comes, he will come to judge the world. And knowing that should make a difference to our lives. We need to live like we have faith in Jesus, like we're expecting, hoping, praying for his return. So having thought about this passage, 
Can you think of changes that you might need to make in your life? Changes in attitude, changes in spending habits, changes in how much you give away. Every time I read this passage, it challenges me afresh. And it's a good challenging because it's challenging me to be a more faithful and committed follower of Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that your word is sharper than any double-edged sword, that it's able to cut right to the very heart of who we are, that it's able to challenge us and make us think carefully about how it is that we follow and trust and obey your son, Jesus. We thank you for this passage in James. We thank you for the timely reminder that it gives us. And we pray that we wouldn't be people who are complacent or just happy with this life and don't give a thought to the life to come. Help us to know that Jesus is coming again and that we should live in light of that and live in that hope. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.